0: If you had to crystallize that in just a couple of sentences, what is it about nuclear that makes it so magical? Is it energy density? What is it? The efficiency? What is it? You're
1: in the right neighborhood. My my line on on nuclear, if you're anti-carbon dioxide and anti-nuclear, you're pro-blackout. Well, I am am anti-blackout. I live in Austin. We got blacked out for 48 hours in 2021 we're seeing more and more blackouts across the country. Why is this happening? Because we're fragilizing the grid with a lot of weather-dependent renewables. Mm. So we talk about climate change. Well, okay, so okay, uh, uh, let's accept climate change is an issue we have to deal with. Well, then it's a height of foolishness or the depth of foolishness. I don't know which Mm -hmm. one it is Mm -hmm. to make our most important energy network dependent on the weather. We need a weather-resilient electric grid, not a weather-dependent one.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to the What is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor-based, so all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships, and I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, Again, that's WOLFNYC, dot com. Robert Bryce, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Happy to be with you, Robert. It's great to have you. We are here in London for the ARC event. So very cool to do this in person. Uh, Just by way of quick introduction, you are an author, podcaster, and documentary film producer. Latest uh, I'm sorry your podcast is called power hungry power hungry podcast. Yep Uh, You've been the author of six books the latest is a question of power electricity and the wealth of nations. Yeah, and then uh, your documentary is Juice, How Electricity Explains the World. I think you said there's a sequel coming out soon.
1: That's right. My colleague and I, Tyson Culver, Tyson Culver is my colleague. He's the director of this uh, next film. It's called Juice, Power, Politics, and the Grid. Mm-hmm. It's going to be out in early 2024. It's a five-part pro-nuclear docuseries that we're releasing on YouTube. So i uh, really excited about it. Tyson's done an amazing job in putting it together. We have about... We have 35 on camera interviews with people all over the world, but uh, uh, we talk about how the grid and why the grid has been fragilized, particularly in the United States. Uh, We went to Germany or we went to uh, to Japan. We were in the US um, filming and. and, I'm really excited about it, but we end up just pointing out why if we're serious about having a stable grid affordable reliable electricity and addressing climate change and co2 emissions We have to be serious about nuclear so Mm. adamantly pro-nuclear so uh, and unapologetically nuclear We have Mm. to be forward-looking and embracing this technology because we really uh, there is no other uh, a form of energy that can scale uh, in the ways that we need to scale uh, electricity production globally,
0: uh, and 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 address the CO two issue without nuclear. If you had to. Crystallize that in just a couple of sentences. What sure. is it about nuclear that makes it so magical? Is it energy density? What is it? The efficiency? What is you're, it? You're
1: in the right neighborhood. My, my line on, on nuclear. If you're anti-carbon dioxide and anti-nuclear, you're pro-blackout.
0: Well, I am. Anti,
1: <laughs> I am anti-blackout. I live in Austin. We got blacked out for 48 hours in 2021 we're seeing more and more blackouts across the country. Why is this happening? Because we're fragilizing the grid with a lot of weather-dependent renewables. Mm. So we talk about climate change. Well, okay, so okay, uh, uh, let's accept climate change is an issue we have to deal with. Well, then it's a height of foolishness or the depth of foolishness. I don't know which Mm -hmm. one it is Mm -hmm. to make our most important energy network dependent on the weather. We need a weather resilient electric grid, not a weather-dependent one. And yet that is what we're evolving to as we close down our coal-fired power plants and our gas-fired power plants. And this is important to remember, Robert, the amount of money that is now being spent by some of the wealthiest people in the world to force the closure of coal plants and Mm -hmm. natural Mm -hmm. gas-fired power plants in the United States is enormous. Just I wrote about it on my Substack, robertbrice.substack.com, about Michael Bloomberg just announced in September a $500 million grant a group called Beyond Carbon and what are their goals? To close all the remaining coal plants in America and close half of the, the existing gas plants. This is a recipe for disaster. And it's being supported by one of the richest men in the world who, by the way, flies on private jets and has 12 houses all around mm-hmm, the world. Mm-hmm, so I mean, mm-hmm. one, it's gobs- gobsmackingly hypocritical. But secondly, it's just deeply dangerous for uh, for our society to undermine our most important energy network in the way that they are planning. And his cohorts, the groups that he's funding, I am a long-time, uh, long-time critic of the Sierra Club, Natural Resource Defense Council, Rocky Mountain Institute, mm-hmm. will get hundreds of millions of dollars to push this effort. So make no mistake, it is a serious threat. That's I forgot I forgot your question but I went off on captured it at
0: the beginning um, just why nuclear is important basically and why it's in a league of its own relative to other energy Right
1: resources. so and and you were close on the energy density so mm-hmm. It's power density. This is the Mm -hmm. correct term. So um, I sound the pedant here, but this is what I do. So energy is the ability to do work. Power is the rate at which work gets done. We don't Mm. really care about energy. We don't really care, frankly. I mean, Leo's the sound guy here, whether this electricity that we're using to make this podcast, whether it comes from a coal plant or a hydro plant or a nuclear plant. So power is energy per unit time. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, very good. Thank yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. And it's measured in watts yeah. and energy is measured in joules or BTUs, right? right? So um, and power can be measured in horsepower if we're going to use imperial yeah. units. Okay. So power density matters because we want small footprints and that's why nuclear is the big winner because it is extraordinarily high power density. Mm. Um, Indian point at a nuclear plant, which is now closed 2,000 watts per square meter. Uh, mm. We're in London. Rolls-Royce is building an SMR, planning an SMR. Their planned footprint will allow a power density of 10,000 watts per square meter. Mm. But Compare that now to wind energy. One watt per square meter, I don't care where you put it onshore offshore doesn't matter it's one watt per square meter period Elvis end of story Elvis has left the building and
0: intermittent or does that and
1: intermittent right and 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 solar is 10 watts per square meter so a little a lot better than wind but still incurably intermittent so the problem is then and why do these intermittent renewables uh, intermittent alternative energy sources increase power prices it's because you have to build a grid that is equal to or, or equal to the size of all the renewables you're building because you can't count on them right. to deliver when the chips are down and I mentioned Texas and my joke about that is okay so we built 60, bi- 60 billion was spent on wind and solar in Texas in the years before the 2021 back- blackouts mm-hmm. and when the grid was on the verge of collapse and it was very close to collapse mm-hmm. all that wind and solar went to Cancun with Ted Cruz I mean it's all, <laughs> gone, all gone left town wasn't available. <laughs> So we had to have that much thermal generation because that right. wind and solar wasn't available. So right. nuclear is the source that is can be available all the time um, and at zero carbon. But we have a long way to go, and we can talk about those challenges. But I think the you know the 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 scale of the challenge that we face both in the United States and around the world in building the electric infrastructure that we need is I mean it, it's gobsmacking in terms of the scale
0: of what has to happen. Right. Right. So the power density is important and then this intermittency factor of renewables puts a lot of slack in the system. Which Well, it introduces chaos. Ca- into and it's this especially issue. crazy if, if you are a climate change activist and you think weather's becoming increasingly chaotic. Right. That seems pretty ridiculous well, to try and build your would, system why make our
1: system dependent on the weather
0: then? Right, right. Uh,
1: okay, I'll grant your point. Yeah. Okay, the weather is becoming hotter, colder, more extreme for right. longer times. Well, then don't make, for sake of argument. Of, don't make our system dependent on the weather then. Yes, We need weather, yes. weather resilient systems, not weather dependent ones. Yes. And that is the part that's being lost in a lot of this conversation. And the one thing that I think is just it, 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 gobsmackingly stupid, and I'm here in Britain, I'm using that same term now, but... <laughs> the amount of money we're spending under the Inflation Reduction Act to encourage the growth of wind and solar. Oh, wow. And it doesn't matter where you put it, you still get the subsidy. So we're ta- talking ultimately the spending on this, these alternative energy schemes are not gonna be 369 billion as President Biden mm-hmm. claimed. Instead it could be on the order of two and a half trillion dollars. I mean, wow. it is just staggering. a staggering sum of money. But if I can, like, you know, since we're in London, we're at the ARC Forum for the Alliance for yes. Responsible Citizenship. I got I to gotta talk about my paper. Powering that was my the, power, next power, question. I, I do
0: want to say one yeah. thing, though. Yeah, of course. Speaking of hypocrisy. Yeah. The Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, I know. How there's, cute is that? You print no money work. to fund an act to reduce inflation. Right. I mean, it's as hypocritical as making weather-dependent power grids, right? Well,
1: and this is one of the things that concerns me enormously mm-hmm. is that, um, look, I'm all day pro-America, mm-hmm. all day bullish on the United States, but the amount of deficit spending the government has been doing mm-hmm. and now this year we will see our debt service costs exceed a trillion dollars right. in a 12 month period that's more than we're spending on national defense right i mean what? I mean, w- yeah. w- why isn't this being discussed? Why isn't this a top priority of deficit reduction? And instead, right. it gets barely any any nod from any politician in Washington. And it's been a bipartisan corruption. Yeah. You know, I'm it's not the a, magic rep- I, a magic of money printing. Magic of money printing. And this argues for a very, yeah, I know you're pro crypto guy, argues pro for, Bitcoin. Yeah, pro Bitcoin. Bitcoin right. Yeah. But that, um, it argues for, well, then you need some alternative system, some alternative currency that's yeah. going to hold value, whether it's gold, crypto, commodities. I mean, these are all things that I talk about and think about all the time because yeah. I think about it both in, for my personal money, but also broadly, more broadly about, well, what makes sense in a world that's just gone insane with the money printing press.
0: Yes. I don't want to get too far afield, yeah. though. We are at ARK. Yeah. Uh, you wrote a paper for ARK yeah. titled Powering the Unplugged. Um, I think this is about the challenge of bringing energy to yeah. developing countries. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Love to. Well, first, I was flattered to be
1: invited to, to write the paper and it builds on some of the work that I wrote, uh, some of the, the reporting that I did for my sixth book, A Question of mm-hmm. Power. Um, and pointing out that the challenge of bringing more electricity to the developing countries is an enormous one. I mean, truly a, a, a mind-bending problem of scale. So to give you an idea, roughly there are 1.2, 1.3 billion Africans on average, When you look at their electricity consumption, it's roughly equal to that of 35 million Canadians. Mm-hmm. A little bit, a little bit more, but wow. that's kind of the scale of what we're talking about. About the how big is this challenge? Another another way to think about it: one, roughly one in ten people in the world today has no access to electricity. One mm-hmm. in ten. Wow. Four in ten, roughly 3.7 billion, uh, live in places where electricity consumption on a per capita basis is less than what's consumed by an average kitchen refrigerator in the US. 3.7 billion people in the world today consume or live in places where average electricity consumption is 1,200 kilowatt hours or less per year. So these, these, this is the defining inequality, defining disparity in the mm. world today is this enormous gap between the electricity rich and the electricity poor. Mm. And so, how do we deal with that? And this is the part. These are the points that I underscore in the paper, and I also underscore one other key point that I'll talk about. What What are the ways that we can address this? So why do we care? Well, we care if we care about women and girls, we should care a lot, because. The the great demographer, the late Swedish demographer Hans Rosling, said there are about five billion people today on the planet who are walking around in clothes that have been washed by hand. Mm-hmm. Well, if there are five billion people washing around and walking around in clothes that have been washed by hand, that means there are two and a half billion. Uh, uh, there are two and a half billion women and girls who are doing that washing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, electricity, as I point out in the paper and my point out in my book. Electricity frees women and girls from the pump, the stove, and the washtub.
0: Right. You give
1: them a washing machine, and it changes their lives.
0: Yes. This is and, the essence of economic productivity. Yeah. Right. Free, but you have freeing to, people but you, up. But
1: you need electricity to make that happen. Yeah. So, So what are these barriers, then, to electrification in developing countries? Well, there are many, but we focus on a few of them. One of them is lending, and this is a real problem. Um, I'm not a partisan. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm disgusted. I'm deeply disgusted, <laughs> Right. President Biden in June went to a meeting or a, a spoke at a dinner sponsored by the League of Conservation Voters, which is a very wealthy uh, climate-focused NGO in Washington, mm-hmm. annual budget of more than $100 million a year, and gleefully announced that the U.S. Export-Import Bank was funding a, ni- a $900 million solar project in Angola. Angola's CO2 emissions are so small as to be insignificant. Mm-hmm. And the Export-Import Bank in its press release bragged that this is gonna help Angola meet its climate commitments. I mean, a more laughable example of climate colonialism, green colonialism, carbon, cl- you cannot find. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it, it frankly disgusted me and I wrote about it on my Substack. Mm-hmm. But it's an example of this lend- these lending practices that are paternalistic, are designed to keep the, the people who are in the dark, in the dark. Mm-hmm. And I find that you know you got we've got to change this mindset that we developed we in the West in the U.S. in in the U.K. in Europe we burned coal we we used hydrocarbons and a lot of them mm-hmm. to industrialize to say that countries in in Africa and South Asia South America can't do it mm-hmm. is just flat wrong right. so we have to fix the lending part of it the other part of it is, is a difficult one and maybe the most one the one that's the hardest is dealing with corruption mm-hmm. and you know the way i summarize it is is a, 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 a theft is the enemy of light if you have people stealing mm. in a society then it undermines the integrity of the grid mm. you, if you're going to have a workable electric grid you have to have a system in which people pay for the power you can't mm. just give it away And if they steal it, well then ultimately the the system degrades. Mm -hmm. So corruption is is one that we have to deal with. And I show in the the report a scatter plot that the more corrupt countries have less power, less Mm -hmm. less electricity. Mm -hmm. The the less corrupt countries have more power. It just stands to reason. It's axiomatic. If you have a corrupt country, your power grid is going to be weak. Electric grids are a very good reflection of the societies they
0: power. I have to jump in on this. This I've never heard it described like this. Theft as the enemy of light. But this is a, this beautifully mirrors an economic axiom, actually. Mm. Theft reduces productivity. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. So every unit of human time that's spent stealing from another human is time spent not producing. Yeah. Further, it undermines the incentive to produce at all. Because if yeah. I produce something and someone steals it, then why would I produce? Right. All right. So I think what you're getting at is maybe the material manifestation of that, that we see corrupt countries having less energy production. Oh yeah. Less corrupt countries having more energy production, which is almost
1: More energy production is
0: equivalent to more productivity. And energy is money. And energy is money. Right.
1: And energy is the economy. right? Right. So if you undermine that capacity... Well, you undermine the entire economy, right? Yes. Just because these things are, uh, Art Berman says, uh, money is a call on energy, and energy, in many ways, is a call on money, right? Yes. So it's like they're interchangeable. Uh-huh. And this is the part where I, you know, I know, you're Bitcoin guy, that this is where these things kind of collide. But so, let me just finish my my the last point on you know why you know that what are the what are the ways we can address this enormous disparity mm-hmm. in electricity availability? So I talked about lending, talked about corruption. One of the ways forward then, given those two factors, uh, is is to embrace microgrids. Mm-hmm. Now this isn't a perfect solution. Since the days of Edison and Insel, grids, the larger, g- generally it's been axiomatic, the larger the grid, the more productive and more efficient it is mm-hmm. because of thermodynamic efficiency of the power plant, mm-hmm. right? Generally the bigger the power plant, the better of enthalpic efficiency, I think that's the right word, the better efficiency you get out of the system, mm-hmm. right? But, if you have a a country that's corrupt and you can't get a lot of capital, well then shrink the grid until you can create a grid that has integrity Mm. and that's the key, right? The grids have to to shrink until you can assure the integrity of that grid and if you ensure the integrity of the grid and it pays for itself, Mm. you can create another grid, right? Mm. But that making smaller grids is a way forward. And this is when uh, I cite some work uh, that had been done in Nigeria, mm-hmm. a country that's notoriously corrupt, has a notoriously bad grid. And a lot of researchers are saying, well, they should, you know start with microgrids. You know, let's start right. with instead of trying to electrify the whole country at once, let's start with this neighborhood. And then mm-hmm. we'll try to expand it into the village. Mm-hmm. Right. And we'll make we'll grow it. And with, with by chunks, right, and mm. and do it, build it instead of trying to build a top down grid all at once. Right. Let's build a smaller grid and build it up from there. Bottom up, decentralized. Yeah, and there it's there there are problems with this, and I've sure. seen them myself. And in Lebanon and Beirut, where you have you know microgrids run by the generator mafia, well, they operate these small generators in or smaller generators at two, three, four, five megawatts. But the air pollution they create is enormous, mm-hmm. right? So that's a problem, right? right. But these—that's one of the trade-offs. But the advantages are you have less capital deployed, mm-hmm. so the risks to the lender are not as great. Mm-hmm. You have then a, a smaller affinity group where they're going to know if somebody's stealing
0: power, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And this
1: is what the generator mafia in in Lebanon—they these guys know who their customers are, and mm-hmm. right? they know who's not paying their bill. And mm-hmm. if you don't pay their your bill you get hurt you get cut off or you might get hurt right Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. so the systems have to have integrity the system of you know the grid itself has to have what i call a spree de grid it has to have some cohesion Mm -hmm. but you need civil society for that and this Mm -hmm. is one of the points i make and kind of you know the the you know the 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 opening address by jordan peterson had this kind of call to hope right call to think about what are this what are we striving toward what are we trying to get done here well We have to dream big, right? We have to think about these problems and try to address them. So that was the effort that I made in this paper, which I'm very proud of. I I excerpted excerpted parts of it on my Substack, .substack (laughs) robertbrice.substack.com. And we'll excerpt another one in the next couple of days to you know, because I want to get these ideas out because I'm passionate about them.
0: Yeah, extremely important. If you are a business owner or manager, you should know these three numbers, thirty-six thousand twenty-five and 1. 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down cost. And finally, one, because your business is one of a kind, so with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com whatismoney. That's netsuite.com whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash is money. Now, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high res three inch touch screen, it's got a camera for air gapping the wallet. Uh, It's got optional Bluetooth compatibility, and it's really a a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to icointechnology.com today and use promo code Bitcoin23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. And I have to go back to this one more time. Yeah. First is the enemy of light. I'm gonna use that.
1: It's okay. it's yours with my compliments. <laughs> Amateurs borrow professional steal. It so it, steal else? it steal away.
0: Uh, <laughs> you cannot steal that which is not scarce and ideas are non-scarce, so thank you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like well, the uh, the stealing line is variously attributed to Picasso and John Lennon, so okay. just that uh, amateurs borrow.
0: Wonderful, I have to, to I have to dig into one more thing about sure. that. So without getting into the argument of whether it is or not, um, I argue strongly on the show that inflation is theft. Right? Oh, yeah. It's a form of implicit yeah. taxation. Right. Taxation is non-consensual exchange, inflation yeah. is theft. You said theft is the enemy of light so the extent to which we are printing money and inflate debasing the currency stealing yeah. purchasing power from savers right do you think this is a direct contributor to I don't know the fragilization of our power grid the decrease in our ability to have uh, power output per unit capita uh,
1: that's you know this is a really interesting question and one that I've been thinking about in my own head for a, a long time because we are printing all of this money. We are <clears throat> creating this increasing uh, debt that then has to be paid back. And yet, the counter-indicators are that the economy still seems to be doing well. And and now, is it doing well for everyone? I would argue no. Right. But particularly when it comes to real estate and housing, right? Yeah. because it's pricing out. A whole cadre of you know people who can't afford that nut can't afford the mortgage. Middle class is getting and wiped middle out. Middle class is getting yeah. getting slammed, yeah. and the and the poor getting double slammed. And California is a perfect example of this, mm-hmm. right? A state that where my daughter lives, but has the highest poverty rate in America. Mm-hmm. You know what the electricity prices average? Bureau of Labor Statistics latest data in San Diego average price, residential price of electricity in San Diego is forty seven and a half cents kilowatt hour. It's almost three times the national average. Three times national. Wow. In, in in San Francisco, it's exactly twice the national average. In Los Angeles, it's about 40% higher. So in the biggest, com, biggest communities in California, they're just squeezing the poor and the middle class. Right. So... The inflation kind of it's one that i'm you know i wish i knew my economics better but i mean it's made me think you know again on my own terms well what's the way forward then mm-hmm. where does somebody's does a smart guy put his money right mm-hmm. you know is it bitcoin is it gold i've heard i ask people this all the time if i gave you ten thousand dollars and you're my fiduciary in 10 years I, I said i want the best return on that 10 grand mm-hmm. where would you put it now I'm, I'm assuming your answer is going to be bitcoin um but for, I've heard for people, me
0: personally it's not prescriptive though yeah, I'm not of course. saying now if you ask me as a fiduciary I could give you advice yeah but, um, right typically yeah. we don't like to give financial advice no of course <laughs>
1: right but I understand I
0: understand that argument I yeah. respect it. But
1: I ask it of other people because it tells you what their worldview is, sure. right? So I've had people say physical gold right. and, you know, people with be very smart have a lot of money yeah. physical gold because I don't trust the system. Right. We're going to get screwed. Others are saying, you know, U.S. equities. I'm long U.S. equities myself. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, it's because I can I can understand that. Right. Yeah. But I think this is one of the most important questions of our time. Right? Yeah. You know, how do we assure that the poor in the middle class? Don't get screwed by all these inflationary pressures right. in the marketplace, right? But it, does that mean commodities like oil and gas? Maybe does it mean base metals? There's an argument for that, but the price of copper right. this year has been down or flat, yeah. Despite claims that oh, we're going to need a lot more copper. So, I, 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 I'm, I'm, it's a confusing time, Robert, and that's why yeah. I think it's just I, I love talking about it because. It, we, you know, who knows? You know, who are the smart people, right? Who knows anything? I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's why we have decentralized media so we can all talk about it and figure it out. Um, let's go back into your past a little bit. Sure. What you see, obviously, very knowledgeable about energy, uh, seems to be a passion of yours. What was it that initially drew you into the space? What was it that fascinated you about energy, electricity specifically? Sure. And what, what was your, I guess, journey? Yeah. from there until now.
1: You know, as you ask that question, I, you know, I've answered this various various ways in the past. But I remember when I was a kid, it just popped in my head when I was probably eight or nine. I got a toy car. It was given to me. It was a really cool one, and I took it apart because I wanted to see what the motors were. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have. I wanted to see how the little electric motors worked. Mm-hmm. And my brother was aghast. He was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It was a cool car. I said, well, I wanted to see the motors. I wanted to, And I had to attach it to a battery. I, and I hadn't thought about that in a long time. But I've always been fascinated with electricity as mm-hmm. a thing, right? The thingness of the what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So from the days when I was a kid, I grew up in Tulsa. It's my okay. hometown. And so my dad wasn't in the energy business. He was in the insurance business. But I grew up around people who were in the energy sector. And we're doing interesting things, working all around the world. And mm. you know, I was hunted when I was a kid, so I'd hunt in the oil field. I, you know, I knew what pump jacks were. I knew what mm. this this thing was, right? So, um, but the, as further I got in my career in journalism, I realized energy is the most important business in the world. It's mm. the sector upon which every other business depends. Mm-hmm. It's the world's biggest, most important industry, and also the one that encompasses nearly every kind of technology. Right. So. I, I count myself incredibly fortunate right that to, to this this is my purpose and my passion This is mm-hmm. what I do. This is what I'm born to do And it's what I'm going to continue doing until they you know take the big dirt nap right? <laughs> You know, so I don't have another aspiration, but to do this and um, And you know, how do we bring more power to more people? What is yeah. that? And how do we assure cheap abundant reliable energy and power for right. everyone? That's the that's the challenge of our time because if we can do that then people can make money. Yes, right? if we can do that. Women and girls are freed from the pump, the stove, and the wash right. tub. We can do that. Then we can have a prosperous society in which we have, you know, stable mm-hmm. systems. But mm-hmm. if we don't have that, social unrest, you know, chaos ensues in mm-hmm. a very short time.
0: If I could ask you a, a philosophical question, sure, because I like the word power. It's very yeah. interesting, as we said earlier, energy per unit time, but it also has this ambivalent. Feature sort of yeah. where we can we often talk about power as in the political sense. So a right? multifaceted word. Yeah, yeah authority uh, yeah. The ability to be someone else's boss or have influence yeah. over them, etc Then there's power more in the physics sense yeah. energy per unit time What is the relationship between these two things between what's let's call it political power and physical power? What is the connection between these two things? Hmm. That's another good question. Um
1: I guess it's this. The, the, it, it, my first thought is that it's something about the ability to move, right? That mm. you've got to have some influence. Some it, it's that in the the word power to me in my mind's eye suggests that something is moving somewhere, mm-hmm. right? So, political sense, you know, power. You're you're moving an audience. You're moving a system. You're moving a policy. You're imposing mm-hmm. something, um, and that's what. The the grid is right Mm which this this constant movement of electrons right back Mm -hmm. and forth It's 60 cycles per second or here and I guess 50 cycles in the UK Mm -hmm. right, but it's an interesting idea I have to tease on that or think on that a little bit more about what those those relationships are but uh, the the idea of power and and the ideas of around energy are incredibly complicated Mm -hmm. I was just quoting Richard Feynman in fact um, he says energy is a very subtle thing. It's a hard. I think that's mm-hmm. the way he put it He said it's something that's very hard to understand mm-hmm. and I think that's one reason why there's so much demagoguery around it because mm-hmm. The general public doesn't understand it's the
0: same it. with money. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. right, right. Hard that, to understand, easy to obfuscate further
1: easy to obfuscate and also easy to just ramble on and right and yeah. blather excuse, Blather about it without any kind of real deep understanding yes. and so And the level of ignorance on that, on the topics of energy and power, just enormous. Mm -hmm. And it's a big challenge. And so, you know, I I see it as one of my obligations to try and do that education. And even in front of energy audiences, and I do a lot of public speaking. I'll ask energy audiences, you know, tell me, you know, the difference between energy and power, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, even in rooms of engineers, mm-hmm. they, they don't know. Oh. Or ask about units of energy, right? Like exajoules, right? Yes. The Statistical Review of World Energy publishes now data in exajoules. And I've been in audiences full of energy. That was in, uh, what was it? I, was in Phoenix, 900 in the audience, 900 people in the audience. All of them worked in the energy business. Raise your hand if you know what an exajoule is. Like, two hands. <laughs> and I wag my finger at them wow. and I say, you need to know what this is. Like yes. This is a unit of energy, right? Like <laughs> a, It's equal to a quad. It's equal to the amount of energy in one trillion cubic feet of natural gas. If you're going to be in the energy business, you need to know these yes. units, right? Yes. You need to learn. And then yes. I give them the exegete. I give I give them a little lecture and a little more finger wagging, and I, <laughs> <laughs> I move, I move on.
0: Okay. So, I think you said the nine-year-old boy uh, yeah. breaking down the, the motor engines, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Dissecting them. Yeah. You said you were fascinated by what electricity is. Yeah. So I would like to ask you, like, what is electricity? And then why is it the world's most important and fastest growing form of energy? Sure.
1: Well, in a, uh, okay, so let's start with what it is, the thingness of the thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, it moves, electricity moves, this is an interesting in fact, I didn't really know. It doesn't move as fast as the speed of light, it actually moves Uh-oh. slower than the speed of I light. I did not know that. So there's resistance in the copper wire or the aluminum mm. wire when you move it, so it, do, it it can't travel as fast as the speed of light, it's somewhat less. I, I, exactly how much less, I, I, I could look it up, I'd have to, but I don't remember mm. that. But it is a flow of energy, right? And that's, the, that's what power is. Mm-hmm. Energy is the ability to do work, power is the rate at which work gets done. Energy is worthless unless you can make it flow. And the more mm. you can make it flow, the more power you have. Mm. So, I have 10 barrels of oil in the ground, okay, well, mm-hmm. it's worth nothing unless I can make it come to the surface. Mm-hmm. So, a, a, an oil well that produces 100 barrels of oil per day, that's a power term, mm-hmm. it's 10 times more powerful than a well that produces 10 barrels per day, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. that's a power metric. Mm-hmm. So, electricity is that ability to turn that energy into, some, into power and to for me to tell you what it is hmm, I I don't know that I can it's uh Feynman described it he said electricity says well one thing moves over here and so then it makes something move over here which I thought was kind of
0: a, <laughs> I know it's like it, but to a, see hear that said is like yeah. well the yeah so it's a correspondence of some kind
1: right but yeah. it's the it's the ability it's the flow of, well I guess in in if we're going to talk about AC current, it's this flow of energy back and forth at sixty cycles per second mm-hmm. that allows you to do in work at one location that's apart from location. the generation. And station. these are electrons that are moving.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So flow of electrons. At a very high speed over conducting wire. Right. So convert energy from one location into work at another location. That
1: would be a very good way to think about it. Yeah. it's fascinating. Um, So, and why is it the most important? Let's talk about that. Why is it the most important form of energy? Because it's the form of energy that we crave over every other. Mm. The age of electricity fundamentally changed humanity. I mean, like no other form of energy ever has. Mm -hmm. Right? So you can look at the scale of what, you know, GDP, right? So, yes, the industrial age, that GDP starts to go up. But then the electric age was built on the tools of the industrial age, right? right. Edison used coal-fired steam steam engines, right. right? And we're still using effectively the same kind today, yeah. right? Still using steam genera- steam-fired generate generators mm-hmm. running on coal for 36, 37% of global electricity. So that electrification just fundamentally changed not just society, but it changed how we live and where we live. So. Yes. Electricity as I write about in my book I talk about in the in uh, our first documentary juice how electricity explains the world fundamentally changed the city Because Frank Sprague one of the great American inventors uh, unknown American inventors <clears throat> Invented perfected and commercialized the electric streetcar and then the electric elevator Well mm-hmm. that fundamentally changed our cities mm-hmm. how high we could build buildings mm-hmm. how far we could move along the horizon in the city in a in a pollution-free way, right? So um, It is the most important form of energy because it allows us incredible leverage in the physical environment, Mm. right? Uh, and that's what we want. We want that We want that ability to do work. And electricity gives us incredible ability to do work yeah. of all kinds. And
0: then there's all these digital technologies, too. It's yeah. just occurring to me that obviously they're all electrified. Oh, yeah. And they're wildly powerful productivity boosters. Oh, my gosh. Right, The yeah. fact that we're all so much more interconnected than we've yeah, ever been. I mean, you're
1: typing on your laptop just kind of, you know, yeah. absently, not absent mindedly, but it's you know, a given, well, but that laptop when, you know, when I was a kid, that didn't exist. Right, right? There was nothing like that. And yeah. the amount now that everyone, you know, I remember the first video camera I ever saw, right? And I thought, well, this is cool. I was in high school. Yeah. Man, this is amazing, right? Yeah. But it had this big suitcase like right. thing that came with it, and now, now everyone here. has a video yeah. camera, right? <laughs> yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. And everyone can publish everywhere, yes. right? Where it used to be the publishing was only available to a few elite, right. very centralized corporations. So fundamentally changed society, in many ways levelized, leveled it's out, decentralized yeah, everything. Yeah. So, it's, it's the most important as well because we talked about women and girls, it's the most important because as I said, it's the form we crave over every other yeah. and the and the economies that have cheap, abundant, reliable electricity are the ones that flourish and the ones that don't decay. Right. So, that's why it's the most important. Fastest growing? Well, because yeah. that's what it is, right? Because yeah. everyone wants more, right? We're not designed to use less. And so, you see in Asia, in, in China, you know, I wrote about this a while back, but for several years in a row, China was adding roughly one France. Per year of new electricity generation Wow, and so and now I think globally we're adding about one Brazil's worth of new Electricity demand every year so you know in Vietnam Pakistan, you know India China um, You name it uh, uh, Indonesia, you know these countries are doing whatever they can I call it the iron law of electricity Mm. These countries businesses people will do whatever they have to do to get the electricity they need Mm. including burning coal so yeah, this is this is the most important and fastest-growing form of energy in the world, and there's there are efforts to stop it and prohibit or slow the growth of coal, for instance, slow the growth of hydrocarbons. They really aren't having much effect, and you right. see now, especially now in Germany, what are they doing? They're reopening their coal plants. Hello, what is well, that? Oh, they are
0: reopening. Them. Oh yeah, and they they closed down their nuclear, though, right? Yes, which is which just is beyond yeah. beyond insane. Uh, other thing electricity has given us, thank you electricity, is Bitcoin. Money yeah. cannot be counterfeited. So i just like to add that one in. It's, it is this layered, uh, civilization's like this layered stack of technologies. Right. Yeah. We, get, we get steam, then we have electricity, now we have digital tools. So all these things are unlocking human productivity. One of my highest health priorities is keeping my brain in top shape. To take care of my brain power, I do many things such as striving to read, write, exercise, and meditate daily. One of the latest tools in my brain power toolkit is MindLab Pro. MindLab Pro is a nootropic supplement that is scientifically proven to enhance your brain power. When I take MindLab Pro, my mind feels like it has a better grip on the world, my thinking is more lucid, and the articulation of my speech is much more clear. MindLab Pro has been tested in rigorous, double blind, placebo controlled human trials and has been proven to enhance brain power for users in every age group. MindLab Pro is an advanced formulation of 11 nootropic ingredients and is backed by research from 1,473 human trials conducted over a period of 32 years. So if you're looking to start enhancing your brain power, MindLab Pro is an excellent solution. Go to mindlabpro.com breedlove to start enhancing your brain power today. Again, that's mindlabpro.com breedlove. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian Chris Rock. insurance. you got to have some insurance. you got to, that's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. <laughs> So go to joincrowdhealth.com breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay Server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay Server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to WasabiWallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. You say that hydrocarbons are here to stay. They are. I think this flies in the face of a lot of um, environmentalist perspective. Oh yeah. Why is that?
1: Well, the the shortest answer is because they provide us with the energy, the um, the, the amount of energy that we need at prices that we can afford. Mm-hmm. That's. Really? Yeah. Power density again? Energy density. Energy density here. Right. So power density is a measure of energy flow. Energy density I can explain by, so I'm holding a glass of water here. Well, so imagine if I filled, I went outside and I found a bunch of sawdust or, Uh or twigs and filled it with the, put it in this, in this cup this glass. Well, mm-hmm. the energy density it would, of that would be far less than if I went out to the generator out here and filled it with diesel fuel or gasoline. Right. The energy density in this cup would be massively greater with that gasoline or diesel fuel than it would Got be it. with the twigs or the straw or the you know the so sawdust. Energy, energy
0: density is a characteristic of the raw material, generally power it's a, density. Gener, the
1: energy density generally refers to a volume or a mass of okay. stuff and how much energy is contained in it. Right. Power density is a measure of the energy flow. The process of That could be harnessed from a given area Volume or mass. Got it. Okay. So one is A measure of what's contained in it. The other is A measure of the flow from Stock
0: versus flow
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So An important distinction and It's not Essential to be made because Again, people in the industry Confuse them all the time. Mm -hmm. They don't Know the difference and that's one of the reasons Why I'm sure I have a job for a long time Mm -hmm. to come Mm -hmm. (laughs) But back to Bitcoin Which I'm fascinated by and been familiar with For a long time but I haven't jumped in because I still have this idea that government could come in at any time just mm-hmm. to re- reveal my 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 thinking on it. Mm-hmm. But the thing that fascinates me and we talked about this before we started recording was that it is embodied energy, right? Mm-hmm. It is this well it's actually not embodied because it's out there somewhere in the cloud, right? It's out distributed, but it is yeah. this the notion that energy is money, right? Yes. And that you have to have energy and if you have energy you can make money. Yes. And that to me really is revealing about again with the things we've been talking about why electricity is so important because you're taking our very highly ordered energy mm-hmm. Which is electricity right very neatly stacked electrons mm-hmm. that are very neatly delivered and very in a very cohesive package mm-hmm. And then you're turning it into something that is has tradable value. Yeah, and to me that's an it the concept of it just is, is very is interesting and it builds on this idea about the importance of energy and power because yes. now you're actually turning it into, into something that is a, a, what we call money, right? Yes, but yes. you could use that same same say quantity of energy whether it would be gasoline or diesel fuel or whatever to turn and then refine copper Copper ore, yes. right, and turn it into something that would then be tradable. Yes. But it's the similar kind. You need that same, you need electricity for both. That's right. Right. So you need electricity to refine oil and gas, right? Yeah. So these are all kind of in some ways of a piece in my yes. mind about what those end products are and the importance of the energy and power to produce the refined products at the end game that we can then
0: buy, sell, trade, collect, right, right, et cetera. Right. right. Yeah, there's examples of, I think, Iceland, right? They, they have stranded energy sources. They would convert yeah. that into what, aluminum bauxite, perhaps, and then they export it. So it's kind of a way of exporting energy. But with Bitcoin, it's interesting. And it's been called digital energy or digitized energy. But yeah. you're converting these stranded, really any energy source, but any stranded energy source in particular into a digital commodity. Yeah. So you're turning the value of this energy into something that's as portable as information itself right? and then sellable on a global market 24 by seven. The other interesting connection between them, I think is the second law of thermodynamics. Mm. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Uh, now, Bitcoin can be destroyed technically. It can be sent to a burner address, but it cannot be created. So it's something, if money and energy are the same thing, or at least corresponding, the money supply of Bitcoin maps perfectly onto energy, right? Energy is this thing that we can only transform mm-hmm. or, or harness, but we can't actually create more of it according to thermodynamics. I know that's it's a little confusing because when you say power generation, we're harnessing more power, yeah. but you're not actually creating it, right? It's being harnessed from something. Yeah. So Bitcoin seems like an ideal medium for actually transacting and probably pricing energy as well.
1: That's yeah, interesting. Well, so let me put that question to you then, because isn't this ultimately, though? Because my concern, and I've, I've, I've heard the pros, I've heard the cons. My son Michael is an avid uh, crypto guy. He, Ethereum, he's all in on Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Um, started mining it when he was fourteen in our house, and so I'm well familiar with the history. I've been in data. I've been in in crypto mining halls in Iceland. I've seen mm-hmm. them myself, right? Mm-hmm. You know where they're using natural air currents, natural airflow for for cooling. So I'm, I'm fascinated by it, but couldn't the U.S. government, for one, then if Bitcoin gets too high and says, just step in and say, you know, y'all are out of business. You can't. And they they've taken some moves that are in the regulatory realm that are showing that they are willing to crack down. But isn't that ultimately the biggest danger for the for for bitcoiners that the government steps in and says you know
0: cute little shop you have here too bad you're out of business because our fiat business we like our fiat business yeah so two things i would say about this sure this is a sticking point for many people that are yeah. going down the rabbit hole it's like yeah. well if it is that disruptive government will never allow it yeah first thing i would say is the analogous question to ask yourself is how do you turn off the internet everywhere forever yeah because that's what would be required to actually stop Bitcoin. It doesn't actually even stop Bitcoin at that point. You would actually need to turn off the electricity grid everywhere forever, uh-huh. plus the Internet everywhere forever, and that would sort of stop Bitcoin. Yeah, it'd be kind of a bad thing. Yeah, we would be back in the Stone Ages, right? <laughs> so in that sort of long tail event, you're like, well, I guess the Bitcoin I had was kind of the least of my concerns at this point. Uh-huh. Um, the second thing I would say is that, this has happened already actually. The CCP in China has outlawed Bitcoin and you know, de-outlawed it and re-outlawed it multiple yeah. multiple times. Uh, most recently they banned Bitcoin mining, which is the physical footprint yeah. of Bitcoin. Yeah. At the time that China banned it, this is I think roughly 18 months ago, 50% of global hash rate was coming out of China. Mm-hmm. 18 months later, the ban is still in place. Still, 25% of Bitcoin's global hash rate is coming out of China. Now, if the How CC- do you track that? I'm just curious. Uh, it's tracked through mining tools online. I don't oh, okay. I don't have the technical specifics yeah, okay. on this. I'm relying on some research secondhand. Yeah, no so problem. Please check my numbers. No, I, yeah, I'm, um, I, I don't doubt you. I'm just, you know, to me, it's... One of no, no, things, no, yeah. no. definitely needs to be checked because I am stating this secondhand. So my position on there would be if the CCP is the most brutal iron-fisted authoritarian regime that humanity's ever seen and they can't stop Bitcoin... Then which government? North Korea can. might be in the running for that title. Yeah. Be, just 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 <laughs> saying. Um. Yeah. So I. Th- this is the hundred trillion plus dollar question. How do you stop Bitcoin? Yeah. And this is where. Uh, and your
1: answer is it can't be.
0: Well, we don't know how. I don't have a good answer to it. Yeah. So that makes you bullish. And many people have thought about this thing. You know, Bitcoiners are famous for being adversarial thinkers. Yeah. Trying to think through the game theory of how you turn this thing off. Right. And Bitcoin's sort of optimized to not be turned off. Right. So that's that is the big question. It's how do you stop it? Yeah. No one has a good answer, including me. So sorry, I don't have a good answer. <laughs> no, that's that's fine. I, you know,
1: kind of it's my job. I can ask the question. People don't have to answer it. Right? Yeah. You know, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the
0: best best answer I have to date, and which actually increases my conviction. Right? Yeah, if fair I can't, enough. No one can figure out how to turn it off. Well, that seems like a good sure. asset to a okay. in. Let me ask you this question: the energy slash geopolitical world change after October 7th 2023. Right. As you were saying to me offline. Yeah. What was the catalyzing event sure. and what were or what have been the changes since that event? Yeah. So I've been watching the energy markets for a, a while
1: and I don't claim to be have extra, you know, special geopolitical strategy knowledge,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I can follow pricing mm-hmm. and What happened on October 6th when you look at natural gas prices at the TTF Trading Hub in Holland, which is the benchmark price for natural gas in Europe? Mm -hmm. They were about $38 per million BTUs. Today, it's over $50. Mm Well, what happened? Well, the Israeli, the Hamas, the brutal terror attack, and in Israel, in what was now, I think, the second October War, right, following fifty years to the day of the beginning of the Yom Kippur War, which led to the OPEC oil embargo and had repercussions for the next fifty years. Mm -hmm. Is this going to have the same effect? Well, I can't predict that. But what I do know is that we're already seeing Israeli gas that was coming from the offshore fields, uh, and the Tamar field has already been shut down, which was a huge gas field off the offshore Israel. They were shipping the Israelis shipping gas to the uh, Egyptians. The Egyptians were liquefying it and and turning it into LNG and sending it to Europe. Mm -hmm. So that now that Israeli gas is off the market, Mm -hmm. and if this conflict continues more Israeli gas may go off the market. That's gonna hurt Egypt, it's gonna hurt Jordan, it's gonna hurt Europe, it's gonna hurt Israel, of course. Mm. So the energy geopolitics now are much more, I would say more precarious, Mm. but I think it also underscores the importance, yet again, of hydrocarbons in the United States Mm. and in Australia and in Canada, Mm. because Russian gas is now off the table for Europe Mm um this 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 Hamas war now clearly benefits Russia clearly benefits China China has been the biggest buyer of Iranian oil over the last couple of years and the Iranians are using that oil wealth to fund both Hamas and Hezbollah mm. so we're seeing a now a more polar world and with energy being a key part of it with Russia China and Iran on one side and then you have the Saudis the Qataris the Iraqis all declaring pal- uh, solidarity with the Palestinians well this this has shuffled the deck in a big way mm-hmm. so the world looks a lot different now than it did before October 7th mm-hmm. and I don't think we've begun yet to quite understand all of the energy implications of what this might be. So I'm just trying to tease out some of these mm-hmm. issues and think about them and start talking about them because they're incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Because Israel 50 years ago was not a big oil and gas producer. Well, now it's a major oil, uh, major gas producer. Mm. Fifty years ago, the U.S. was more dependent on on OPEC oil. Today, we're not as dependent on OPEC oil. We're an oil, significant oil and natural gas exporter, mm. but we're still interdependent in the global marketplace. Mm. So, how does all this play out? I'm not I'm bad at predicting, but yeah. we're already seeing the price repercussions, and
0: it's bad news for Europe all around. You said we should shift our thinking from because energy independence is a term often used we should sort of shift our thinking towards energy interdependence yeah. right right what is that is this conflict that you're describing and the, uh, the unpredictability that it presents us is that a collapse in energy interdependence because less trade is occurring in the global marketplace?
1: No, I don't think we're going to see necessarily a big decline in the trade in the global market because the US exports a lot of light sweet crude and we import heavy sour. Mm-hmm. That's how our refineries are set up. They they make their money Their crack spread is the term of art Mm. by buying lower cost uh, 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 heavier sour crude and then refining it. Mm -hmm. And we export a lot of light sweet crude, particularly from shale Mm. um, to refineries overseas because that is a better match for their refining uh, setups. Hmm. So that's a change right it doesn't mean we're energy independent because we're exporting oil we're still interdependent gotcha the same with natural gas we're now exporting 20 billion cubic feet per day of natural gas we're now the world's biggest exporter of liquefied natural gas
0: mm-hmm.
1: 20 years ago we were facing the prospect of being the world's largest importer of liquefied natural mm-hmm. gas so technology changes things right and it mm-hmm. ch- can change them in a relatively quick uh, relatively short amount of time so mm-hmm. This war just shuffles the geopolitics yet again, and um, I think it shows yet again the importance of having domestic hydrocarbon production mm. And I think it also it shows that we need to be more more clear-eyed about This issue of domestic hydrocarbons and and the Canadian hydrocarbons and Australia who are our allies who are unshakable allies Who are producing a lot of hydrocarbons? Those are the ones mm. right so we mm. need you know got to be clear about this, right? We live in a dangerous world, and this is just shown yet again how dangerous it can be.
0: Mm. What is it about, is, what's fragilizing the global power grid? You know, we talked earlier about inflation, theft is the enemy of light, like perhaps that's contributing. Um, I, I'm not, maybe the the ideology of behind renewables is, is contributing to this to some extent yeah. of ESG. Why is the global power grid becoming more fragilized? And then what is the proper role of nuclear power in that context? Sure. Sure. Well,
1: I'm adamantly pro-nuclear. As I said, anti-nuclear. And if you're anti-carbon dioxide and anti-nuclear, you're pro-blackout. Well, I'm Mm anti-blackout. There's only one way forward if we're going to be serious about reducing CO2 emissions, and that's Mm -hmm. with nuclear power. You asked about the global grid. We don't have a global grid. We have a lot of regional grids, mm-hmm. right? We have a lot okay. of small grids, right? Yep. You know, the U.S. grid is not not connected with the rest of the country and, and the right. rest, rest of the world. I live in Texas. We're largely independent of the mm-hmm. the eastern interconnect and western interconnect. We're connected a little bit, but only a little bit. So most of Texas is within the ERCOT RTO, and mm-hmm. so we're kind of an island. Um, but in Texas, our grid has been fragilized. We're added a lot of weather-dependent renewables. Mm. Right so it's not as stable as it as mm. it used to be. It's not as reliable we had this summer, you know, number number of days where the RTO was saying, "Hey, we're just barely scraping by." Well, what was happening, wind energy was not available on some of the hottest days and mm. went away. So, the thermal generators had to step in. But we've seen similar situations both here in in Europe and and causing big spikes in power prices where you know you've you've had extended wind droughts, and that's the term the right term, mm-hmm. wind droughts um, in Germany. Well, you if the wind doesn't blow, you build all these wind turbines, that's great. But if the wind doesn't blow, you're screwed, right? And the North American Electric Reliability Corporation has repeatedly warned about this issue of wind and extended wind and solar droughts. Mm-hmm. So, we're making the system, the network that we depend on, the, the electric grid, more vulnerable mm-hmm. because we are reducing the baseload power plants we need mm-hmm. to assure reliable, affordable, resilient electricity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, it's, but it's not just in the U.S. It's happened in Europe. We've seen uh, it happen in other countries, and it, I was in Japan earlier this year. What is Japan doing? Well, for all of the talk about the Kyoto Protocol and climate change, the Japanese are building coal plants, coal coal-fired power plants today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: TEPCO, the company that owns Fukushima Daiichi, is is finishing an ultra-supercritical coal plant in in uh, uh, on Tokyo Bay. Mm. They're also building gas-fired power plants. They're also turning on their nuclear plants. But Japan is very – the Japanese are very practical, right? right? But in talking with government officials, their industry officials, I say, well, you know, tell me about climate change and what you're doing. Is, yeah, well, energy security is our first concern. Right. And this was after Russia invaded Ukraine. And mm.
0: that's even more important now after Hamas attacked Israel. So the fragility of these power grids uh, – the extent to which they're becoming fragilized is the same extent to which they're adding renewals, renewables as their primary energy source. Well, adding
1: renewables and, and retiring thermal plants. Right. They're and retiring
0: so their coal-fired power plants and and and, and hydrocarbons would, power would be a firm plants. foundation That's for right. power production. Yeah. Hy- renewables are they just functional as supplemental? Is that the right no, way to think about they're it? They're
1: great when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing. Right. But right? don't depend on them. But you can't depend on them. Okay. So you have to have if you have. A thousand a thousand megawatts or one gigawatt of renewables, you need a thousand megawatts or one gigawatt of for the dispatchable capacity. It's axiomatic. Yep. Right. It's why the prices go up when you add all these renewables. They don't go down. Right. So California is the perfect example. And you know, since 2008, when Arnold Schwarzenegger mandated renewables in California the price of of electricity on a residential basis in
0: California has gone up three times faster than the rest of the US. This is a coincidence, Robert. Amazing stuff, we need more people to understand the basics of energy and power so we can get a little bit smarter. amen brother than our economic, economic policies <laughs> uh Robert, I think I've kept you long enough. okay I uh, wish you get back to the event. Yeah. thank you so much for doing this oh, it's been great, been flattered to talk about this as you know it's, it's my purpose and my passion. this is what I do, so
1: I'm always happy to talk about it and you know the ideas around money energy power. These are the most important questions of our time.
0: Yes. You mentioned your Substack. Where else can people find you on the internet?
1: I'm easy to find on the Google. Um, I'm on TikTok
0: at PowerHungry,
1: P-W-R-Hungry. I'm on Twitter, P-W-R-Hungry. I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. I'm on uh, Substack stack, robertbrice.substack.com. I'm... we're writing almost exclusively for Substack now because I love that platform, and cool. uh, it's free. Um, but also check out my film, uh, Juice, How Electricity Explains the World. Um, and I have this new documentary coming out that I'll be pushing out more, and I'll keep you posted on that one when we, uh, we're ready to, to release that one. But it's called Juice, Power Politics and the Grid, five-part pro-nuclear
0: docuseries. Awesome. Robert, thank you so much. Thanks, for, Thanks very much, my friend.